Welcome to Project Echo. This is the University of Melbourne Hub Adolescent Mental Health Network Series 2, Session 4. And uh, I'd like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government for the production of this series. It's Tuesday, the 7th of September, 2021. Welcome back. Uh, this session's titled Understanding Poor School Attendance. Um, in our previous session, we discussed the impact of environmental stresses on the developing teen and the predisposing, precipitating, perpetuating and protective factors uh, on the mental health of young people. In this session, we'll take an occupational or perhaps functional approach to understanding teen presentations to the DIS clinics and discuss the drivers and issues that lie behind a presentation of poor school attendance. Through our didactic presentation, Sandra will describe the key presentations and assist us in deepening our understanding of these problems so as to develop skills in assessment and management. And as always, we'll consider how to put these principles into practice through our case-based discussions. Hello, everybody. Nice to be with you again this evening. And we're going to talk about the broader topic of poor school attendance. Um, as you know, I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist and I'm the director of Mindful, which is a teaching and training unit in child and adolescent mental health that is part of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Melbourne. So we're going to cover these areas of poor school attendance, trying to understand that there might be different kinds of poor attendance, how to think about it from a functional perspective, and to think about some of the factors that contribute to school refusal and maybe some thoughts around assessment, how you might go about uh, putting the pieces together. So what's the problem with poor school attendance? Why do we get um, a bit concerned about the young person who doesn't turn up? And really it's because of its implication, not just immediately in terms of academic and social development, but the, it's a big risk factor for poor or non-completion of finishing secondary school. And the consequences of non-completion here is really where it hits home. Later opportunities with respect to employment, economic status, social well-being and the impact on physical and mental well-being way, way later than when the young person is out of school age. Some definitions to keep in mind, we tend to sometimes use these words a bit interchangeably, so I thought it would be good to just come back to what do we mean? What do we mean by school refusal, truancy, school exclusion, or indeed school withdrawal? School refusal, here it is very much about the young person does not want to go to school. There is a huge emotional upset and they are at home with parents' knowledge. And in this group, there tends to be an absence of more antisocial behaviours and parents have tried reasonably to get the young person to school. When we're talking about truancy, it's the flip side. So it's an unauthorised absence from school. The young person is concealing that they're not at school, so neither parents nor teachers, to start off with, realise that the young person um, is not attending. And the student tends to avoid being at home when they're not at school. School withdrawal. So here we might think about this more as a parent condoned absence. And is it because the young person is needed at home, needed to help at home, needed to, needed to support a parent? Or in fact, it's a parent 
but doesn't really value education per se. And then school exclusion. This term is more thinking about the match between the school and the students' needs and that there are sometimes school settings that don't have the resources to match the needs of the student and this might be due to a lack of aid support or other structures that would be needed in the school and it may result in part-time attendance. The figures here uh, is that perhaps up to 10% of students with disabilities fit this category of, if you like, part-time attendance because of not enough resourcing. From a functional approach, it's useful to think about, so what purpose does this behaviour serve? And the first purpose is indeed to get away from a fearful situation or to manage the general over-anxiousness in respect to the school setting. The second um, uh, purpose that it might serve is actually to escape a situation that is in school that has become quite aversive in some ways, usually related to social anxiety or sometimes around a specific activity, a fear of public speaking, a fear of, of sport days, something in particular. The next area to think about is the idea of it serves the purpose from the point of view of managing separation anxiety. And it is trying to get attention from parents with the aim of gaining permission to stay at home. And then when we're the last bit is what are the reinforcements? That, that is the pleasant activities that the young person might engage in at home um, when they're not at school that actually reinforces that this is a good thing to stay away from school because I get to do what I like. So broadly speaking, we think of poor school attendance as a red flag and then we have to dig a bit deeper and we separate them out broadly into those that are needing to get away from school and those that are needing to be at home. So the get away from school, we've kind of talked about it, the anxiety, the mismatch, the young people with undiagnosed learning difficulties, the young people who become depressed, the young people where there is bullying and teasing or no friendships or excluded. And the other side, a parent with a mental illness, often a mother, or indeed a caregiver who is over, who is overprotective in some way or anxious, particularly in the presence of family violence or drug and alcohol issues. So we're going to do our usual, a bit about demographics, a little bit about diagnostic consideration and then the precipitating, predisposing and perpetuating and some family issues to think about. The age and gender are two peaks, unsurprisingly, start of school for the preppies and then that transition from primary to secondary school, which therefore means that either in early secondary school we see a spike or indeed in late primary as kids are getting a bit worried about the move to secondary school. With the gender split, 
mm, roughly 50-50, slightly more um, young women in a community sample and slightly more young men in a clinical sample. Predisposing? A student that has had an anxious temperament right from the get-go. A young person where there is modelling of school refusal. There are siblings who also don't attend school. A student who is now in secondary school but who in primary school was having problems with school attendance, the presence of psychiatric difficulties, of family dysfunction, of learning difficulties are all going to predispose this young person to struggle to attend school. Some of the precipitating um, factors, the why now, why does is this popping up now, are some of the usual suspects of bullying and teasing and social exclusion, the transition time from primary to secondary, sometimes a difficulty with a particular teacher, illness in a young person, academic problems, separation problems. As you see, uh, bullying being top of the list at 35% of likely precipitants. And what about perpetuating? What are the incentives, if you like, for non-attendance. Um, now, sometimes the perpetuating factors are the young person is behind in schoolwork and doesn't know how on earth will they catch up, who can help them to catch up, can they catch up? Sometimes it's the contact with peers who also don't attend school. So you've got a nice little peer group who are all staying away from school or the flip side, there is no peer group at school that you would want to be with. And again, there may be that breakdown in relationships between the family and the school that keeps the non-attendance going. Another study um, suggested these were some of the precipitants. Family conflict, peer conflict, family separation, changing school, moving home, and physical illness. Um, sometimes people think that the solution to poor school attendance is, in fact, to move schools. Well, I think that needs to be thought through because it may well be that that's another um, reason that a young person falls through the cracks between one school and another. Let's think about the diagnostic picture, particularly for us as thinking about mental health difficulties, what might be the drivers from a mental health perspective. For truancy, where the young person is concealing that they're not attending school, then we're thinking about the disruptive behaviours as a group. So oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, ADHD, if we're looking at school refusal, it's anxiety and mood disorders that, that need to be excluded as part of the picture for the young person that you're seeing. Uh, turning our attention to parents and carers, how are families going when they have um, children who are struggling to attend school? So this is what what um, parents might say, that they struggle 
with being actually being a parent that there are higher levels of parental anxiety and depression that there is poorer family functioning and more that I guess implies more conflict sometimes than conflict between the parents and indeed um, that there is treatment for formal mental health problems in a parent and, or a carer. I thought some of these statements were interesting. What do parents say? What are their thoughts and, and what are their answers to some of these questions about why does your child or adolescent not attend school? How important do you think it is for parents to be involved in dealing with the poor school attendance problem? Um, what do you think parents, what you as a parent, what do you think you can do to help your child with poor attendance? And who do you think is responsible for attendance at school? And here we have a few answers from parents. We don't know how far to go, how far to push. As a parent, I can only encourage her so far. Something has to click in her mind, it's past me now. Now, particularly when we're talking about adolescence. Or thirdly, it's up to the school. The teachers have more knowledge about this than I do. Or he's got to want to go and then I can support him. It's part of his personality. I try not to get too involved. If I do, I get embroiled. So in those comments, there are a range of um, themes around it's not up to me as a parent, it's up to the young person, it's up to the school, I don't know what to do, I don't know how far to go. Um, and it leads to problems uh, between us if I try and, and insist. I want to, us to think about the assessment process when we have a young person with poor school attendance. And here, as usual, we're looking at trying to gather information from a range of sources and trying to do it potentially in a range of ways. Some assessment issues, however, this is a bit more tricky. Um, parents sometimes are not aware of the level of internal distress. So anxiety is not always uh, visible or obvious to parents and they think their child is doing okay. Um, we need parents to be able to tell us what is it that's going on and what's the impact on this young person's functioning when they're having these problems. So we need that understanding of what goes on at home but sometimes not forthcoming. A young person may also not want to tell us too much and sometimes young people want to please us. They want to not only please us but put their best foot forward and not tell us exactly the things that are a problem. And we have a task to try and tease out what might be normal worries, developmentally appropriate from disorders. And of course, we need to, as medical people, we need to think about, is there a medical explanation that we need to exclude with respect to something that looks like anxiety? Now, here are some of the areas for inquiry. We want a history of the school refusal problem. 
just now or in fact something that has occurred at different times in a young person's life. We want to know what happens in the morning. What is it that makes it really hard to get this young person to school? We want to know what are they doing when they're not at school? Like what? how do they spend their days? And to understand their academic performance in particular, whether there might be specific learning difficulties, ADHD, ASD, that gets in the way of learning and then the social functioning. Do they have friends? Do they have peers? Have there been conflicts? What's been going on? And how do they seem when they're actually at school? This, of course, means this is a team approach, not parents handing it over to the school or the school waiting for other agencies like CAMS and KIMS to wave some kind of mental health magic, but really everybody's got to be around the table in order to understand the difficulties, to figure out how to support the young person and how to support their family. So um, to, again, break this down a little bit more, the answering the questions Who's going to support them with respect to their learning? Who's going to support them with their actual return to school? And what kind of assistance is it that is needed and is available? From a mental health perspective, what does this young person need in terms of assessing their mental health? Who should do that? Where's that support? Who's going to be available? And I did put a little plug for the student with ASD because here in fact is a an added layer of difficulty which is to do with the school environment per se as we know the sensory sensitivities that students with ASD might have that require some environmental change and whether that is possible or not but a team approach is making clear of what are those different points of intervention, trying to co-develop a plan that everybody can support, trying to, again, identify those natural supports, if you like, parents, peers, a, a teacher that the young person gets along with well, the mental health and health supports, and then very much down to the academic or the social supports at school and the question for all of you is, what is your role with being part of the DIS team, doctors and nurses in schools? And here we have, again, some thoughts about what makes this harder. The older the young person is, which usually also translates into the severity of absenteeism, how long has this student been away from school? the severity of the school-related fears, the having no close friends at all or few close friends, and the level of social anxiety makes this much, much, much harder. The simple and not simple um, rule really is that the treatment for school refusal is actually getting a student back to school. However, one can achieve that and as soon as is possible. 